The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. Is Bill Lazor a good play caller, or is Nat Nagy such a bad play caller that it makes average look like Bill Walsh? Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John. And there's no holding this buffoon back either. What the Bears are right now is what has been wrong with them for over 30 years. Just aim to be competitive and do your best to be average. And maybe we should just accept that. Because the front office sure as hell did. I don't mind you getting beat. I got my ass whipped many times. But I tell you, I took somebody down with me. The games have been close because the defense, your offense, which you came in to revolutionize, has gotten worse as the years go by. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down those Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone, and with me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, how are you doing tonight? Have you recovered from that Sunday shellacking yet? I mean, we're here. We got the show started with some after some technical difficulties, which is more than what the Bears could say. So, uh-huh. I mean, I'm ready to get this started and kind of, you know, just kind of Talk about how, you know, we didn't think it could get worse. And, you know, here we are. (laughs) Unlike the Bears, we will overcome a rocky start. We have the resiliency. We have the tenacity. We have the energy to actually see something through. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We have a great guest lined up to help us better understand the Bears' next opponent, the San Francisco 49ers. But just in case, just in case, on the small chance that this is your first time listening to this show or watching this show, Alyssa, Can you give these people a breakdown of how this works? Absolutely. So Buffone 55 has three segments, and we're actually going back to basics, and we're going to be starting out with our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions, and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffone, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. That's then followed by learning about the Bears' upcoming opponent from someone who follows them closely. And today we have Alex Cecina from 49ers Cutback Podcast to tell us all about this 49ers team. We then finish things up by going into Buffon's basement, where we're going to have a Bears therapy session and let out all of that rage from last Sunday's game. So, John, are you ready to recap this misery? Going to need that therapy session. But, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's get this started. (laughs) Okay, John, so that Bears loss was the worst of the season and could be considered the worst of Matt Nagy's career. If you can sum up this loss in 55 seconds, I think that that would be an accomplishment in itself. So give it a shot. The clock starts now. 
Look, I've seen some uninspired football in my lifetime as a Bears fan, but that team was beaten before they got off the plane. It was humiliating. That game was over before the first quarter was in, before the first quarter ended. We all kind of had an idea that the Bucs were going to win that game, but we were also curious to see how the Bears were going to respond to the Green Bay loss, especially after getting clowned by Aaron Rodgers. But instead of playing angry and inspired, they got whipped up and down the field to the point where Blaine Gabbert came into the game. Blaine Gabbert played in that football game. It was almost comforting that the game was decided eight minutes into it because you didn't really have to pay attention to the second half. You could just sit back and watch this tragic comedy of a football game. So in the grand scheme of things, we didn't think it could get much worse after the Browns game and then the Packers game. Well, guess what? Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears can always take us just a little bit deeper. You know, the Bears are anything if consistent when it comes to, you know, really letting you down and getting your hopes up. And I mean, like you said, I didn't think they had a chance in this game. We talked about it last week, but I didn't think it would be that bad. I thought that, you know, the offense would look a little bit better. They look as disjointed probably more than that Cleveland game. And it was just brutal. Just like, and you have Matt Nagy clapping, you know, when his team is trailing like down 30 30 points. points. And it's just kind of like, it was just like a mockery. And then like everything that was happening... It, it, it was just a complete mess. And, you know, it, it's kind of, it's so weird, like how so quickly it seems like the season is spiraling out of control. You know, it, after the, the Lions game, things are kind of looking up. And then you have the Packers saying, well, hey, at least they were competitive with it. But that Buccaneers game just kind of, it, it set them back. And that was that was like a Mark Trestman-like loss. And, I mean, at this point, I know we, we talk a lot about it and we're afraid that Matt Nagy is still going to be here through it all. But, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine that he's going to be able to survive this. Well, I think that, you know, clapping when you're down 30 points is a perfect encapsulation of the Matt Nagy era where you're so oblivious to what's going on around you that you just keep clapping and you keep you can keep selling the lie. Keep selling the lie. Keep t- keep talking about it until it comes true. All right, let's just keep clapping. You're you're down by a million and your team gave up, but let's just keep it up. Keep it up. Yep, keep it up, Matt. Yeah, keep it up. Your offense, you know, it's the worst it's looked in four years. And yep. your poor rookie quarterback just kind of looked deflated on the sideline. It was just like, he's like, you could see it, him thinking, I, I want to go back to Ohio State. <laughs> Why didn't yeah. someone else draft me? Oh, man, it was brutal. And, and speaking of brutal, Justin Fields did not have a great day, as we all saw. The rookie accounted for five total turnovers and only threw for 184 yards and zero touchdowns. You know, we knew there would be rookie mistakes, uh, but but Justin Fields appears to be trending in the wrong direction. Uh, or, you know, does it is it more like he's trending in the wrong direction, or do you think that this is more on the coaching staff? 55 seconds are on the clock. Look, we knew there were going to be rookie mistakes, but if you just look at the box score and to determine your opinion, I think you're going to get let down on this one because of those five turnovers, really only about one or two of them were really directly on Justin Fields. Does he need to hold on to the ball a little bit stronger? Yeah, probably. But on those fumbles, the fourth or fifth string right tackle was going one-on-one. Why does Matt Nagy continuously think that that is going to work? Fields was hit 1.9 seconds after the snap on one of those fumbles and then 2.01 seconds after the snap on the other one and just for some context the quickest average release in the nfl comes via ben roethlisberger who averages 2.36 seconds per throw by the way thank you mina kines and dan orlovsky for those stats but as far as interceptions go one went off of mooney's hands the other one is solely on coaching hey bears coaches shut the hell up about 12 guys on defense unless there are actually 12 guys on defense 
Yeah, you know, looking at this, obviously accountability is a big thing. Like, you know, you don't want to just hear, oh, it's all the coaches. But at the same time, you, you have to hold them accountable as well because we knew Justin Fields was going to make mistakes, like you said. But, you know, you look at those five turnovers and they weren't all his fault, like you were saying. Latavius Simmons just was just, just so bad. I never want to see that again. Like, Who didn't even why practice. wasn't Alex Bars there in the first place? He's been on this team for a while. He's earned a spot. And, you know, he fared much, much better. You know, a couple of those turnovers were on him. It's just, just, just jointed as a whole. Like you could tell pretty early on after that first drive and they had the ball that nothing was clicking. I think was it Cole Komet dropped like a pass that would have been for a first down. I was like, that's it. Game over. Like right there. Like you could feel it. You like, you know, pretty early with this team and for a long, for a while, like, you know, you saw everyone around Justin also making mistakes and it's like, you got to help him out at some point. He Mm -hmm. can't do it all on his own. Uh, it's just, you know, really frustrating. And I mean, a big part of it has to go on the coaching staff. And, you know, that's why the, the you know, the Vikaskis really need to make the decision to move on from Matt Nagy, whatever that may be uh, at latest by the end of the season. Yeah, and if you ask the new team spokesperson, Jason Peters, apparently Simmons didn't get much, uh, didn't get much time at right tackle at practice anyway. So yeah, let's throw the guy who's like a practice squad type player. Let's just throw him into the starting lineup. Did he practice at that position? No, but let's just see what happens. I, I don't understand what actually goes on through the week. I actually would love to hear what goes into the preparation to say he didn't practice at the position. He's not that good. You know what? We should keep putting him one-on-one with the DN, though. That sounds like it's going to work. I would love to hear those conversations because somebody has to be on board with it. The coaching staff has to be like, yeah, Matt, that sounds good. Let's do that. I- I'd love to hear that conversation. Yeah, and you know, I know obviously Elijah Wilkinson was placed on the COVID list on Saturday, but you had to have a backup plan. And it seemed like they didn't have a backup plan at no all. One, no one just took again, right tackle? No, one no he was probably right like, tackle? okay, Latavius, you're in. Okay, let's go. Uh, and then that was a complete utter disaster. So, right. <laughs> you know, so speaking of some players that kind of let Justin Fields down, you know, one of the biggest disappointments so far this year has been Allen Robinson. So far, and th- this is true, guys, Allen Robinson only has 23 catches for 250 yards and a single touchdown, and that's through seven games. He's currently on track for 53 catches, which is only about half of what he produced last year with one fewer game. Mm-hmm. So, John, I want you to look into your crystal ball. Is Allen Robinson a Chicago Bear in 2022? Your time starts now. Look, I didn't love A-Rob's chances of coming back to the Bears before the season started. Now I'm almost looking at 2022 as if Allen Robinson is already gone. And by the way, you, he could have he could be traded by the time you're listening to this podcast, so bear with me. But uh, there's a couple of as- aspects to consider in all of this. Number one, who's going to be the GM and the head coach next year? And will a new regime, who's probably trying to get younger and rebuild, are they going to want to spend $17, $18, 19000000 million per year on Allen Robinson? Number two, and probably more importantly, does Allen Robinson even want to come back to Chicago? It sounded like he subtly took a shot at Matt Nagy this week about not getting any kind of preseason reps with Justin Fields or in training camp, I should say. And now he's barely on track to get 50% of his output in 2020. You can't tell me that there's not a team out there, whether who's going to trade with them or in the offseason, that thinks the Bears are wrecking this guy. We can probably get a top 10 receiver for a really good price. I mean, I know the Bears wanted to get him at a cheaper price, but this is just ridiculous what it's they're doing to, do to him. Yeah, just franchise like, tag him and then slamming. 
Exactly. Just make him completely irrelevant. I mean, like you said, the biggest thing is, does he want to come back? And I, I know, like we were talking about, you know, Justin Fields, who was shiny new quarterback, probably the best quarterback he's played with in his career, which isn't really saying much. Uh, but at this point, they're having a hard time, you know, forming that chemistry because they didn't get those reps. Shocker. It's not like we didn't think that was going to be an issue early on. Uh, and it's just, I mean, Robinson kind of looks frustrated, like you said, taking a, a subtle shot at Matt Nagy. I mean, I just, I mean, at this point, this Bears team should be sell, sell, sell out of the trade deadline. You know, it just yeah. feels like that. And if you can no, get something for A-Rob, get it because he's not going to yeah. be here next year. They have no draft capital. And I, I'm not sure how the compensatory picks are working out if they lose Robinson or anything like that, but they need to be sellers. But then again, if they're sellers, then what does that mean for Matt Nagy? What does that mean for Ryan Pace if they punt on the season in week seven? I don't know. We can talk about that later. <laughs> So luckily, things are getting a little better, I think. Uh, San Francisco is coming to town, and they're just as desperate as the Bears are for a win. At one point, the 49ers were predicted to be a big-time Super Bowl contender. Now, they're on the brink of a failed season. So in your opinion, would a win over the 49ers do anything to change your mind about the Bears' season? 55 seconds and go. Well, normally this would be a way for Matt Nagy to try to send another message to the McCaskies, but he might not even be on the sideline. Uh, but for me, no. This plays into everything we've been talking about all year. A win over the Lions should not cover up the fact that you made inexcusable errors against the Browns. And beating a struggling 49ers team doesn't cover up the fact that you got publicly humiliated by your biggest rival, the Green Bay Packers, and then gave up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All that does is play into the narrative that the Bears strive for mediocrity. They strive to be average they try so hard not to be an embarrassment that they actually become they become an embarrassment because of that when your ceiling is consistently eight or nine wins it's like you don't even exist so no if they beat the 49ers i'm not going to start looking up playoff tickets on StubHub. and anyone who allows their opinion to be greatly altered because of a win over san francisco needs to check themselves just a little bit yeah, I mean, when you look at this, this is this feels like one of those games where the 49ers are, you know, just kind of more desperate uh, than the Bears, I think, at this point, come in and just kind of beat them. Or actually, to kind of more in line with the Bears, this is a team that they beat kind of like the Lions. And then you have Matt Nagy being like, oh, it's a team win. And, you know, the offense oh, is finally yeah. gelling. And then when you play a quality opponent the following week, the Steelers, or whether it's, you know, the Ravens Steam coming roll. out of the bye, you, you get steamrolled again. Like, it's just a consistent cycle. And I mean, I don't think there's anything to change the season. Like you said, you can't forget those losses that they've had, the Cleveland loss, the Green Bay, the Green Bay loss, the Tampa Bay loss, just, just brutal in their own different ways. And this should have no bearing on the, the fate of Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace at the end of the season. So, I mean, don't How really do you perform against good teams? How do you perform against good exactly. teams? Well, we already like know the answer to that. Well, yeah, exactly. We do. So that's why this shouldn't change anyone's opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're going to end on something that we seem to talk about every week because they just make us talk about it every week. Uh, and that's the future of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Uh, the Bears are currently three and four and under normal circumstances. You know, that wouldn't call for a midseason firing, but this situation seems different. I think we all could agree on that, especially after last week's loss. You know, I think I can guess, but where do you stand on Nagy and Pace? I don't want a clock for this one. Go for it. I think the Chicago Bears are in dire need of a culture change. I know that word gets thrown out a lot, but it has to happen, and it has to happen soon. This GM and this head coach have turned the fans completely off. The Bears have become a punchline to everyone. They're not even the worst team in the league, but they have allowed themselves to become the butt of every joke. 
Aaron Rodgers says he owns the Bears. Tom Brady cracked jokes about what Rodgers said and then humiliated the Bears on national TV. Jim Nance and Tony Romo were making constant sarcastic comments about the Bears throughout the broadcast. No one in this league respects the Chicago Bears. No one respects the coaches. No one respects the organization. You want to talk about culture. How is that for culture? You've built something so toxic that some of your fan base has actually turned to rooting against the team and hoping they lose because that might be the only way that things speed up in the way of change. You've got another part of the fan base thinking that the front office just doesn't really care because the Bears are making huge profits right now. So as long as the money keeps rolling in, sure, seven to eight wins sounds great. And that's the culture you defend. This franchise was built a hundred years ago to be the best. It was built to be a dominant force because the league probably doesn't exist without the Chicago Bears and George Hallis. And now this franchise could, couldn't be any more of an afterthought in the eyes of fans and other organizations. But go ahead. I'm sure this 40-year plan is eventually going to yield some results. We'll be back with more Buffon 55 after this. The Barroom Network presents two fired-up Bears fans. They are ready to rumble on the Bear Debate. Hello and welcome back to Buffone 55. Now it's time to learn a little bit more about the Bears' upcoming opponent, the San Francisco 49ers. So, John, take it away. Thank you, Alyssa. Our guest tonight is Alex Cesena uh, from the 49ers Cutback Podcast. Alex, thank you so much for being on. I hope I didn't butcher your last name. Please correct me if I'm wrong. No, <laughs> yeah, you, you did uh, You did way better than most people do. So I'm going to tip my hat to you there. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm excited. 
Absolutely. And we are eager to learn a little bit more about this San Francisco 49ers team. We want to know if the Bears actually have a shot to pick up a win. Uh, but first, first and foremost, the Niners started out the season 2-0, but they've lost four straight and things have kind of spiraled. What have been the reasons for some of the struggles and any chance at all? Because Kyle Shanahan's been held in very high regard. Is there any possible chance at all that his seat is warming up there? Uh, if you listen to 49ers Twitter and a lot of the fan base, or a good chunk of the fan base, we'll just say 50% of the fan base, then it's 100% heated up, and it should be heating up, and in fact, it should be fired. Um, we've been watching a lot of All-22 film. It doesn't seem like Kyle Shanahan's doing a whole heck of a lot wrong. If you want to hold Kyle Shanahan accountable for guys not executing or position coaches maybe not getting their guys coached up properly, then okay, I get it. Uh, but there is consistently people open all 22 film. When we break down and watch it over on our channel, it's uh, it, it's open receivers. It's guys winning. It's guys open in space. And whether it's Trey Lance at quarterback, missing guys, Jimmy Garoppolo last Sunday, missing four or five huge play opportunities in a monsoon game, you know, where every play matters and every big play, you know, could, could change the tide of the game forever. He missed four or five wide open guys. that would have resulted in either touchdowns or at least points for San Francisco. Um, when you're doing stuff like that consistently, guys missing blocks consistently at the wrong time, one or two guys, you know, losing track of a guy in space, it makes it impossible for you to get rhythm going offensively. And that's the big thing for San Francisco with their offense rhythm, getting them into the rhythm. Uh, Seattle game is a perfect example of that opening drive with Jimmy Garoppolo. They go down the field methodically, drive in rhythm, and put points on the board. Jimmy gets the calf contusion like the third play of the game. And then ever since then, downhill the rest of that game uh, same thing against the Colts opening drive methodical beautiful everything's rolling well and then after that uh just mistakes the execution stuff starts, starts popping up guys missing blocks um you know Jamichael Hasty falling down on the sideline when Jimmy Garoppolo actually throws a great ball um, outside the numbers which is you know a, a weakness of his so when he throws a good one you take him uh, and unfortunately we had a guy fall and then that kills the drive and kills momentum now, I do want to talk a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo because is it more along the lines of Kyle Shanahan wants to give him every opportunity to succeed or is it more along the lines of Trey Lance just isn't ready yet and they kind of have to just buy their time until he is ready? So what's going on with the quarterback situation? It's actually funny. Um, I've been watching a lot of Chicago Bears film this week, obviously, because we got the Bears. And so we want to be able to talk about your guys's, you know, your team and what's going on there with Justin Fields. It seems like there's a different approach for Kyle than for Matt Nagy. And I think this is past experience for Kyle coming into the fold. Um, if you think back to when he was in Washington with RG3, uh, team started off three and six. They end up making the playoffs. But you put RG3 in a position early where he had to play, take, take a beating, right? play on that terrible field there, a FedEx field there in Washington, um, destroys his knees and ends up basically derailing his entire career and his progress as a football player. And things just go downhill from RG3 from that first season. But they end up getting 10 and 6 and making the playoffs. And RG3, as the year progresses, improves and improves and improves. Kyle Shanahan is looking at this situation with Trey Lance, what Trey's strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Um, we've seen it in the Arizona game where Trey struggles to read the field. He struggles to diagnose. He struggles to know where to put the ball in space against certain coverages in Kyle Shanahan's offense. The reason they drafted him, North Dakota State's offense, he was great about that. He was great about finding the right guy and getting the, right, the ball to the right guy in space. But the big difference between North Dakota State's offense and that level of competition in college and Kyle Shanahan's offense and the level of competition that you're facing in the NFL, there's a big, huge gap. And so Kyle's trying to protect that as much as he can, give Trey as much time as he needs. Um, and, and a little bit too is giving Jimmy as much time as humanly possible. 
um, they believed in this guy, right? That the reports that came out about them making the move for, you know, having an opportunity to make a move for Tom Brady and Tom Brady wanting to come into San Francisco and finish out in San Francisco. That was what a lot of people have been talking about with that book that came out. Um, you know, Kyle in this front office believed that at in 2019, you were maybe just starting to scratch the surface of what Jimmy Garoppolo's potential could be in this offense and what he could do with this team. And Tom was coming off of a, a down year. I mean, down year for Tom Brady is, you know, an up year for most quarterbacks, but potentially what was looking like a down year and maybe the decline of Tom Brady that ends up obviously not being accurate. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of both. They're trying to give Jimmy every opportunity and Jimmy does give them a great opportunity to win now. Uh, and trade does need time. Now, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are going to be connected in some way or some form for the rest of their careers just because of them being in the same draft class. Uh, you've obviously been following Trey Lance quite a bit since he came to San Francisco. What are they excited about with Trey Lance? Because I know what Chicago Bears fans are excited about with Justin Fields. Uh, what what are 49ers fans excited about when it comes to Trey Lance? Because it looks like the guy can probably throw it five miles flat-footed. <laughs> you're not wrong and that's what it is that's a hundred percent what it is it's the deep ball it's the vertical aspect um the thing with jimmy is every uh, the thing that's great about jimmy is jimmy is usually except for last week usually really good at diagnosing pre-diagnosing pre-snap seeing the field and getting the ball to the right guy in space and it's usually over the middle of the field it's very rarely if ever outside the numbers trey lance is already elite at that i mean we've we saw it all training camp when we were there we saw it in the preseason games when you ask this guy to take a shot downfield and you got one-on-one -on -one coverage, he's going to throw a dime. He's just going to throw a dime. He's great at the deep ball stuff. He's got a great touch when he throws the deep ball. It's everything else about him that's like a big question mark. And then obviously the feet and being able to extend plays and get outside the pocket. All of that stuff is great because it's all stuff Jimmy doesn't do right now. It's the thing that drives 49ers fans crazy. Can't extend the plays. Not really great at getting outside the pocket naturally on his own. And even when you move the pocket with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is great when you can move the pocket. He can set his feet and then throw. If you have him throw on the run, he loses a little bit, right? It's, it's not it's not as clean as you'd like it to be. Uh, Trey doesn't have those problems. Uh, it's funny. They're really, really at this point in time, inverse quarterbacks. The things that Jimmy is great at, Trey struggles with. And the stuff that Jimmy is not good at, Trey excels at. If you could put them both together, you'd have something incredible. And that's why we on the podcast over here, the 49ers Cutback, um, Mia and, and my other co-host, Ant, we both felt like this Shanna play and talk at the beginning of the season using both quarterbacks was a reality. It was a thing that they were actually going to do because both guys' strengths are the other guy's weakness. Yeah, we see some of that uh, yin and yang when it came to Andy Dalton and Justin Fields, but uh, that that experiment was never going to happen. <laughs> uh, I do want to ask a little bit about the run game in San Francisco because it's it's kind of a peculiar kind of set of circumstances when you talk about injuries and who's going to be the lead back. And, and right now, looks like it's going to be Elijah Mitchell's. What's your evaluation of him? Uh, and also, what's up with Trey Sermon? Sermon? Uh, is there something wrong, or is he just not producing? I know there were some pretty high expectations for him uh, coming into the season. It's actually funny. Uh, most people were really, really high on Trey Sermon. Extremely high when the Niners drafted him. This was the 1B to Raheem Mostert's 1A. We here were not in that boat. Um, we didn't like a lot of the things we saw from Trey Sermon. The speed definitely wasn't there. We weren't sure if he was a one-cut-and-go type of running back, which is the running backs that thrive in this system with Kyle Shanahan see the hole, foot in the ground, get upfield, get the yards. Um, that's not Trey's strength. That's just not It's not the thing he does great right now. I think they believe they can develop him into that. I think that's the the idea is that they, this running back room, the coaching staff, Kyle, they all believe that Trey can eventually get their sermon, but he's not there right now. 
Elijah Mitchell was there day one. Um, you know, the, our first day at training camp that we went and, and saw it was a Saturday, the Saturday at Levi's, the open practice. Um, you know, I, Ant was the one that was focusing on running backs. I was looking at wide receivers in Iuke and IU and Sherfield and everything else was going on. And at the end of the day, he turned to me and goes, man, Elijah Mitchell looked like the best running back in the backfield. And I was like, oh, man, he was running against the threes. Like it, it was probably a little bit. He's like, no, he, he, he sees the hole. He puts his foot in the ground. He gets up field. He gets his yards and then he can make elite plays and special after that. He just, the vision is there. It's, it's advanced for a guy, his age and, and where he got drafted in his draft position. Um, you know, obviously this running back room, it, it, the running game is completely different without Raheem Mostert because the little holes right now that Elijah Mitchell was hitting for big gains, Mostert would have the opportunity and the ability to take to the house. Um, that speed is just, it, it's unmatched. And Elijah Mitchell is fast, but he's not Raheem Mostert fast. So he's still making some great runs. And, and it's it's honestly for Mitchell, the things that are his strengths right now is the vision. Um, he, he's really good at sticking to the coaching points. So he gets his foot in the ground. He gets up field when he sees the hole. Um, he's really good at reading his blocks. Um, there's a couple of times where he has the opportunity to bounce that he's just not right now. And it's because he's doing what the coaches are asking him, right? Uh, don't get fancy. Don't try and bounce things you don't need to bounce. Get the yards, get us positive gains, put us in you know positive gain scripts, keep us there. Because if you do that, we have the ability to extend drives. He's doing that when he's on the field. Trey Sermon hasn't been doing it to that level, to that extent. I know people are talking about, you know, hey, you know, he had the big, big games, like four or five yards of carry, uh, you know, the, the, the few weeks that Elijah Mitchell was down and out. Um, but you gave him Elijah Mitchell those same type of carries and you're seeing 100 plus yard gains and Trey Sermon's getting 60 to 80 yard games. Um, there's a difference. There's a, there's a significant difference. One of the commenters in our chat room said it uh, sounds like San Francisco should have selected Khalil Herbert because that's exactly the kind of runner that Khalil Herbert is, the six-round rookie for the Chicago Bears that you're going to probably see a lot of uh, this week. Uh, decisive runner, one hole, hits it. Very, uh, very aggressive runner. Seems like he might have flourished in that Shanahan offense, but he's flourishing in a Matt Nagy offense, which if he can flourish in that offense, then he he might be a Hall of Famer, but that's yet to be seen. Uh, you talk <laughs> you talk a little bit. You said you were evaluating the, uh, the San Francisco uh, wide receivers at one point. Brandon Ayuk seemed to be a guy that was primed to break out. And then you got Debo Samuel that says, okay, if he can stay healthy, he can be a really good receiver too. Now Debo Samuel is taking the league by storm and Brandon Ayuk is all of a sudden being thrown around as a trade candidate. So what's going on with the wide receivers there? Uh, why, why is Debo Samuel flourishing and what happened to Brandon Ayuk that he took a step back where the, now people are kind of trying to ship him out of town? <laughs> uh, so the Brandon Ayuk situation is an odd one. He started off training camp great. Uh, the routes were clean. He was making incredible catches. Uh, and then things just kind of went haywire. Um, he got really quiet in camp. He wasn't doing a whole lot, but everyone was kind of just chalking it up to, you know, he's getting a lot of attention and, and that's what it has to be. He's just getting a lot of attention in practice. They're trying to take him away. Uh, it'll be, it'll be fine. Uh, and then the first few games of the season came and, and we were watching film and Brandon Ayuk was getting a lot of bracket coverage. And it's like, okay, well, Ayuk's getting double teamed and people are singling up Debo in space and letting Debo run across the middle of the field, which is a strength of his. I don't know why they're letting him do that, but Hey, if you're going to keep doing that, then that's fine. Eventually, you know, you're going to start singling up Ayuk and focusing your attention on Debo, sending those safeties down underneath, and Brandon should be able to take the top off the defense, except he's not. Um, he's not winning one-on-one, uh, and a lot of it is route consistency. The way he's running his routes right now, they differ. Um, he's really kind of giving routes away because he changes up his route combinations and how he runs them. Uh, there was a, a couple weeks ago he ran an inside slant uh, for a first down, about a 10-yard gain. Great route, um, you know, <clears throat> slow off the football, 
got the basically lulled the defender and the secondary, the, the the cornerback there into a false sense of security and then broke hard inside and, and got a nice gain. Later in the game, Kyle Shanahan recognized and realized how hard they were breaking on the slant routes. And he sort of has Brandon dials up a sluggo for Brandon. And Brandon, instead of running the route the exact same and getting that corner to bite hard in space, he comes off the ball firing. He comes out full speed, comes into a, a you know a chop breakdown at the top of his route, breaks inside hard, and then you know slows the route down as the corner starts to bite. But the corner kind of is feeling like this is this doesn't feel right. It's not the same. He doesn't play it the same. And so because he doesn't play it the same, when Brandon Ayuk goes to break on the go route on the sluggo. The corner's just sitting on top of the route. And it's been a, a constant theme for Brandon Ayuk all season. Um, it seems to be when he plays against top-level talent, he plays better. So the Green Bay Packers game is a perfect example of that, going against Jair Alexander. The, the little corner stop route he runs in the end zone, and Jimmy puts the ball on the money for a touchdown. Great route, great game. He had a great performance. But the minute he goes up against anyone that's subpar, he's just not doing the same things. He's not consistent. And Kyle's been talking about this week. He's just not where he was last year. He's still not there yet. He's getting closer, but he's just not there yet. Um, it may have been a, a work ethic thing. It may have been a what his focus was in the offseason. Maybe he focused on the wrong things. He did put on some muscle, too. So maybe he, you know, he just lost a step. He's not as quick. The flexibility, I, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but he's got to start winning versus one-on-one man coverage. Do you anticipate uh, now without, I mean, if you've been watching any Bears tape, do you think that Jalen Johnson would be the one on Brandon Ayuk or, do they, or are they going to put him on Debo Samuel and then Kendall Vildor would draw that assignment uh, for, for Brandon Ayuk? If I'm the Bears, in all honesty, you put your best guy on, on Debo Samuel as much as you possibly can and basically tell San Francisco and, and Kyle Shanahan, hey, make Brandon Ayuk beat us because as of right now, when it's man coverage, it's not consistent. Now, that's also a recipe for disaster because if he does put it together, then he's going he's gonna to go off. He's going to have an absolutely monster week. But there's nothing on film right now that suggests he's going to put it together for four full quarters and, and do it yet because he hasn't. Um, the real problem for San Francisco right now is Depot's dealing with a calf injury, uh, and he missed practice today. So uh, no George Kittle on top of that. Uh, Ross Dwelly has, has not – developed as a tight end in the system other than as a pass catching option uh you know 40 49ers got some questions if Debo can't go this week um Brandon Ayuk is going to have to get it figured out in a hurry we've been saying this I mean for this for this team to have success and this offense to have success uh, we needed a Debo Samuel at 100 we needed the best version of Brandon Ayuk and we need George Kittle um you know you have all of those weapons and this offense is very hard to take uh, enough away from to slow it down but when you're limited to right now, what is just Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell in space, it becomes a lot easier to uh, slow down the 49ers. I can imagine. And, and that's that's good news for Bears fans. But something that's not good news for Bears fans is they might be without their top two pass rushers. Khalil Mack may not play. Uh, Robert Quinn still on the COVID list may not play. Uh, so that leaves some uh, that leaves some reserves and some question marks with the pass rush. Uh if they were going to take advantage of anything on the San Francisco offensive line, are there any weaknesses? Do they need to try to shoot up the middle? Are they going to need to try to pinch the edges? Where could they potentially see a crease to take advantage uh, of the San Francisco offensive line? 
So the big thing is on the interior, first and foremost, because if you can kind of muck up that middle, call, dial up the right blitzes and, and disguise them, then you can confuse some of the interior guys, specifically Daniel Brunskill, who's been the most inconsistent of the linemen so far. Um, Alex Mack is pretty incredible at diagnosing and recognizing what's coming his way and getting the Niners into the right set, picking up the right blitz, getting the guys in the right spot to account for everyone in space. But Daniel Brunskill just loses sometimes. Um, so that right guard spot is a bit of a suspect question mark at times. There are other times that he plays absolutely phenomenal, especially when we're playing the Rams and Aaron Donald's in front of him. <laughs> but the other question mark is on the outside right now with Trent Williams because of the injury. If he's not healthy and not ready to go, then you're asking the rookie fifth rounder, Jalen Moore, who has played absolutely incredible. I mean, nobody in their right mind would have thought going into the year that the fifth round rookie Jalen Moore, who they were dra drafted with the intention of moving to guard on the interior was going to be your swing tackle and your next best guy outside of Mike McGlinchey and Trent Williams. But if he's out there, even if you guys don't have your, your top tier elite pass rusher and Khalil Mack, you can still test him. You can still go after him with whoever the guy is behind him or your other, you know, your other DN on the outside, the other guys rushing in space. Um, you know, he's still going to have some moments where he's going to slip up. Quiddy Pay, who had absolutely no success so far throughout this year as a pass rusher, found some success against Jalen Moore at times. So he can definitely be tested if he's the guy out there. Uh, the other guy is Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey is a great run blocker in this league, great run blocking right tackle. He is not that great when you're asking him to just straight kick, slide, drop back, and block in space. Um, he, he thrives off play action. That's where he's best. Uh, so if the Bears can find a way to slow down San Francisco's run game, put them second, third, and longs where play action is going to have no effect on the defense, and you can just pin your ears back and go, Mike McGlinchey will struggle at times. Ant and I would joke last year that uh, Mike McGlinchey was good for one, one terrible pass pro set a game. One terrible one per game. And it was. Every, every game, he at least one time would get put on his butt and the quarterback would get hit if you had to just straight drop back. Play action, McGlinchey's fant he's fantastic. He's phenomenal. Um, when you're asking him just to kick slide, though, uh, the, the, you, you got an area where you can attack this O-line for sure. Giving us a lot of false hope, Alex. I really do appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do, I do want to switch sides of the ball and talk about the uh, San Francisco defense a little bit. The only thing that the Bears have done well throughout, well, we can just say the entire season is is run the ball. And Khalil Herbert gets a uh, hundred yards against the Bucks last week. Now, granted, the Bucks were in a shell defense like halfway through the first quarter because it was out of reach. Uh, but they are running the ball pretty effectively with Khalil Herbert or David Montgomery, even Damian Williams getting in on the act. Uh, what does the run defense look like for San Francisco? Will there be opportunities for the Bears to establish a run game? 100% up the middle. Up the middle is where it's going to be. Um, Javon Kinlaw now is potentially going to be out for the year. Um, he's in L.A. right now getting some opinions on his knee. He heard it last year in 2020. He had surgery in the offseason, and then he had some setbacks and some complications, and they've been trying to manage it all year. But it's not getting better, and it's getting worse. So we struggled early in the season in run fits, especially downhill, vertical run game, you know, up the gut, inside the tackles. We struggled. We struggled to slow teams down. Um, it wasn't until we added Kinlaw back into the lineup that we found some success in slowing down the run game. When he's not there, um, you're asking Contavious Street, you're asking Zach Kerr right now, and you're asking potentially Kevin Givens coming back now and his practice window is open for the 49ers. Um, to, to win against double teams. And the only one of those guys who's shown they can win against double teams consistently is Kerr. Uh, Contavious Street has three or four plays a game where he gets driven back eight, 10 yards 
off a double team um, and really mucks up our linebackers ability to get up, um, fill, fit their run lane and, you know, make plays at the line of scrimmage or just pass the line of scrimmage or even, you know, get tackles for loss. Um, so double teaming there at the point of attack on the interior against guys like Kevin Givens and Contavia Street is going to be the thing Matt Nagy's looking at going, yeah, we can have some success here. We can open up some running lanes in the middle uh, on the outside. Yeah, no, no, you, I'm not too worried. Uh, Nick Bosa absolutely eats everything that comes his way. It's a nightmare to even think about running to that side. Um, if you even consider it, it's crazy. It's just, it's not, it's not something you should do. And D Ford is a guy who only plays right now sparingly. He's a, he's a pass round, pass rush guy. He's going to be playing on passing downs uh, mostly. So you're looking at potentially Eric Armstead on the outside, who at times can struggle setting the edge, but has been absolutely lights out this year. But, you know, we're, we're thinking over here because of the Kinlaw injury, you may see more Eric Armstead on the interior to help kind of shore up that interior O line, which means Arden Key. Samson Ebucom, uh, maybe Jordan Willis. That is the name that Chicago Bears should be kind of watching out for. Jordan Willis is off the suspension list. Um, he was suspended for, I think it was the first seven, eight weeks of the season just for PEDs. And so he is back off that list. He had an absolutely incredible training camp. He had an incredible preseason. Um, they traded for him last year from the Jets, and Chris Kasarek has done an incredible job of developing this guy. Um, he could be a guy that they basically – Put out there and say, all right, let's see what you got, kid. Let's see if you can you can set this edge. Let's see if you can get after the pass rusher. Um, it's it's going to be a very interesting week in, in indeed. Uh, but I would say interiors we're going to have the most success running the football. You bring up guys like D Ford and Bosa and Justin Fields, obviously being one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league. Is this going to be another one of those things where if the Bears only have five pass blockers and they say, you know what, we're going one-on-one -on -one again, whatever happens, happens. Are we going to see another Cleveland Brown game where Miles Garrett was in the basically taking the handoff most of the time? Uh, is, is, there, is there an actual uh, cause for concern going against San Francisco when it comes to the pass rush? 100% yes. Uh, the pass rush is the strength. It's what this team is built on. Um, you know, it's the identity of this defense. Um, your secondary, there's questions, especially with Jason Verrett being out for the year. Um, and they've been, you know, one of the most penalized def defensive pass interference teams. So if the pass rush doesn't get home, um, you know, that's that spells problems. It spells problems for our defense, uh, but it typically does. It typically gets a lot of pressures. The sack numbers haven't necessarily been there this year as, as much as fans want it to be and, and this team wants it to be. But there are weeks. There are weeks where it's there, definitely. And this is a week where they can take advantage. I think, the, honestly, the biggest question and concern is just route concepts and schemes for the Bears. Um, you know, you guys found success against the, the Raiders by running a lot of shorter route concepts, not putting a lot of guys deep down the field. Um, you know, not trying to let make Justin Fields read the middle of the field where he seems to be struggling heavily. Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of that game and was like, yeah, that's where the success is. That's where the scheme kind of has to be right now. It does make the offense in terms of the pass game a little more predictable. Uh, but if you call, if you're calling the right stuff at the right time, you're going to have guys open and you're allowing Fields to get the ball out quick. Uh, last week against the Bucks, I watched the film and I, I, I do feel actually bad for Nagy because what Nagy's dealing with right now with the fan base, you know, really up in arms. And I understand it because you guys have been, you know, it, it doesn't feel like you're getting over the hump. 49ers of fans are there right now. We were in a Super Bowl two years ago. They're the same level of frustration you guys have. 49ers have fans have right now for Kyle Shanahan. Um, there are times Nagy is actually calling some decent stuff, and it seems like there's guys open and Fields are struggling to find them. Um, and then there's the third down pass sets right now where I'm watching on film going, dude, Nagy, what were you thinking? Because nothing. <laughs> there's nothing open. I don't even know why you went to that, why you thought that was a good idea. So it's a little bit of a hit or miss sort of stuff right now with Chicago's O. 
Um, but I, I, I feel like I feel for the fan base because I get it. I get the frustration level that's there. Um, but th- yeah, this is this is going to be a problem for Chicago this week. I imagine Danico Ryan's is going to scheme up a lot more blitzes than we've seen in the last few weeks to really put the pressure on this kid and force him into situations where he feels like maybe, hey, I got to just try and throw this up here in space or, hey, I think I got this coverage, so I'm going to go here with it. And in fact, you know, it's something else. It's, it's a disguise. We're showing three. We end up running two. You know, we're, we're showing four, but it's really cover one. Uh, things of that nature. It seems like the Bucks did that a lot last week, and he struggled. So San Francisco can take a page out of that, out of uh, out of uh, Morris's playbook over there, and what the Bucks are doing. So you're saying the recipe for success is 30 dive plays against the <laughs> San Francisco 49ers? Hey, if the double team's working, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I will take it. 30 dive plays, 40. I don't care. Whatever works. I, I I know Matt Nagy says he wasn't brought here to run the I formation, but run the damn I formation if that's what you got to do. Uh, before, before I kick you over to Alyssa and all puns intended, we love talking special teams on this show. So is there anyone that we should be spotlighting on this San Francisco 49er squad, whether it's a returner, a kicker, a placeholder, a gunner, anyone that Bears fans should keep their eye on who could potentially have some sort of impact on this game? Oh, I mean, there's there's two guys in, that come to mind specifically. Uh, first is Mish Wisnowski, the punter, who I was very critical of coming into this season. I wasn't critical that the Niners drafted him with the pick that they drafted him in the draft. I was critical because there was one problem last year with the team. We had lost a lot of close games, but we never flipped the field on special teams. Wisnowski would come in to punt. And it seemed like it was positive fields and positive scripts for the other team. And I was like, man, this guy's got to flip the field. Otherwise, we're, we're in trouble because when the offense isn't moving the football, we need to be able to put the ball, pin him back, and let the defense have some breathing room. He has completely flipped the script this year. He's been absolutely incredible. He was the uh, you know special teams player of the month here in the NFC and, and, and in the week a couple of times. He has consistently put the ball inside the 20-yard line no matter where we are on our side of the field. Last week, he was putting from his own 25. Ball lands at the 30 and takes a beautiful bounce inside the 15 uh, for the 49ers. He's done an incredible job all season long, so definitely Bears fans. The Niners' offense has been struggling. You may see a lot of Wisnowski, and every time you do, you should just expect expect to be starting from your own 20. Don't expect good field position there. Uh, and then the other guy is a guy that has consistently been putting out good stuff for the 49ers. I don't know if he'll still be on the roster Come come the week, uh, he's kind of just a special teams guy. That's the only reason he's been in San Francisco. But Trenton Cannon is a guy to definitely keep your eye on, especially with Debo dealing with the calf. We thought that maybe we'd see a Debo as a kick returner starting this week. But if he's dealing with the calf issue, it's most likely going to be Trenton Cannon back there. He's br- broken already a few big ones, but on punts especially, him and Trent Sherfield have been phenomenal as gunners. Guys are catching the ball in space and what feels like they have room and it gets closed up in a hurry for no gain, one yards, guys running backwards for negative loss and and putting the 49ers defense in even better positions. Well, if there's one thing the Bears can handle, it's bad field position. We'll be okay there. No problem. They, they just love those long, sustaining drives. Everything's going to be just fine. Alyssa, just save me from my misery. You got any questions for Alex? I do. I feel like we went from false hope to just kind of like brutal reality that's about to happen on Sunday. But <laughs> Alex, you know, with the with the trade deadline looming, do do you expect the 49ers to be buyers or sellers at all? Or are there any, you know, players they could target or that they can move? You know, what do you think? Uh, it's tough. It, it's tough. Uh, we're two and four. Things aren't great. You know, we're not we're not at all where this no one. I mean, this team is not at all where anyone thought it was going to be. 
This is not the season we were expecting or anticipating, but we're only one game out of a playoff spot. And Trent Williams said it best last week. He said, the the guys, we have the pieces in-house to have success. It's just time for everyone to step up and start executing because we're not. We're not consistently executing. Um, if that means that I'm a buyer on the season, uh, then I'm a buyer 100%. Is there a guy, though, they can go out and trade for? I don't know. Um, outside of them bringing in some running back depth with Marlon Mack, that would be the only real name that we've kind of heard and have tossed, tossed around the idea of, of it making sense. But Kyle Shanahan came out this week and said Jeff Wilson Jr. is about two weeks to two, two weeks from returning. Um, he was talking about end of November. It looks like now we may have him back next week or the week after. So there may not be a move that needs to be made. However, and this is a big however, this week is the deciding factor. Because if this team loses to the Chicago Bears and we drop to two and five, there really is no reason for them to continue moving forward with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's time for the Trey Lance show. It's time for Trey to take over. It's time to start letting him develop. You've had seven games now. You're halfway through the year in terms of what's left. Um, it, it, would it would be time to turn the page, and that would mean probably selling some pieces. I would imagine Jimmy Garoppolo would get moved, um, and I would imagine potentially some offensive linemen. We talked about maybe Lincoln Tomlinson, them moving him if they didn't want to re-sign him and they wanted to move forward with Aaron Banks and his development. So there's definitely some guys to keep an eye on. But I think it fully depends on this weekend and what happens. A, a win kind of cushes everything for a little bit and maybe uh, gets this team the momentum it needs to figure it out and put it together so they can finish the season strong and try and sneak in to the seventh seed there in the playoffs. Uh, a loss pretty much pretty much makes it impossible because now the Bears hold the tiebreaker over over you and they're two games ahead of you. So uh, it, it's going to be a tough week for sure. As of right now, though, I'm a buyer. I guess you'd have to ask me after Sunday to see how I truly felt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the perfect segue into my last question. You know, I want to get a prediction for this game because this feels like this could be a game where it's like 9-6. Both teams just kind of like desperate for a win at this point. Where are you leaning at this point of the week? Um, I'm faithful. I, I believe this team can get it done. Um, I, you know, up until last week and even last week, uh, last week's loss, it's really just a handful of plays that cost San Francisco each and every week. Um, you know, the first three losses of the season that we lost back to back to back, you lose by one score in each of those games. And there are a handful of plays that the 49ers could execute better on. And the entire, basically, momentum and, and trajectory of the game changed forever. Um, and, and what happens throughout that game. Uh, same thing last week with the Colts. I mean, we had four picks in our hands that were dropped. Any one of those picks changes the game, including Emmanuel Mosley's on the sideline, which was a pick six house call, um, and that would have taken points off the board for the Colts as well. So the 49ers are in positions to win football games. They easily could be undefeated right now if guys executed consistently. The problem has been lack of execution. I have to believe that Kyle Shanahan can find a way to get these guys to execute one or two more plays throughout the game in order to come out of this with a W instead of the losses we've been experiencing. So I'm going to go with San Francisco, and I'm going to say 17-10. I just can't believe you have more confidence in Kyle Shanahan than you would Matt Nagy, who might not even be on the sidelines. So it might be this, it might be Chris Tabor, this, this special teams coach, being the head coach on the sidelines. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I understand your reasoning, Alex. Before we get you out of here, can you please let our listeners and viewers know where they can uh, interact with you on social media, where they can find your stuff, and listen to all these things? You got great stuff about the 49ers and, and otherwise. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for both having me on, the, the two of you. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, you can find us on Twitter, at 49ers Cutback, Instagram, at 49ers Cutback. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, at 49ers Cutback, or uh, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash 
49ers cutback, um, daily videos. So, I mean, we have stuff going up on the 49ers all the time. We're on Patreon as well. Um, so, yeah, plenty of ways to interact with us. we got a Discord as well, 49ers cutback. Come over to the channel. It's in the link in our, our, our description for all of our stuff. Uh, but, yeah, thank you again both for having me on. This was a, this was a lot of fun, and uh, this weekend is is big for both teams. That is That is for sure. 100%. Alex is saying the 49ers Cutback Podcast. Great breakdown of the San Francisco 49ers. I learned a lot. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good. All right. We'll be... Welcome back to Buffone 55 here on the Barroom Network. I'm Buffone alongside Alyssa Barbieri. It is time for Buffone's Basement, where we bring in Aldo Gandia to talk all things Chicago <laughs> Bears and a good <laughs> Aldo, quick on the draw with the rejoin. Oh, my right? goodness. Anyone who is listening to the audio version, you just missed out because Alyssa and I were clearly not ready to jump back on the air. Let's just drinking water. John's doing his hair. Yeah. Well, you go, you, you cut me off before the commercial. You bring me back on one before I'm even ready. You got, you, I appreciate you keeping us on our toes, though. This well, is, this is know, why we do it. It's age. Gotta be ready now. <laughs> That's what it is, age. I never had all these turnovers when I was a young buck. <laughs> well, turnovers, what an unbelievable segue. We're going to talk about the Chicago oh, Bears. Perfect. So, <laughs> speaking of this game against the San Francisco 49ers, obviously Matt Nagy was put on the COVID-19 list. He may not be, and some would say unlikely to be, on the sidelines on Sunday, if he cannot go, Chris Tabor, the special teams coach, will be acting as the head coach. And I got to hear both your opinions on this because I kind of already made myself clear on this, but I'm going to keep talking about it. If the Bears go out and play an incredibly inspired game and they go out and just whip up on the San Francisco 49ers while Matt Nagy's watching on his iPad in his undisclosed location that he can't tell anybody about. Does that <laughs> say a lot more about Matt Nagy if the Bears go out and play their best game of the year? Aldo, I'll start with you because you just jumped on. Well, yes. I, you know, Right now the Chicago Blackhawks are winning 2-1, to one, and this is on the heels of their general manager, resigning because of the sexual assault allegations that they did not follow up on. So it's a to two totally different things. But my point here is, is that I think these players who are playing hockey right now are relieved that that whole situation has been taken care of to some extent. And I think that a lot of Chicago Bears players would be relieved not having to hear and see Matt Nagy in the sideline. If we are sick of him, watching him on the sideline for a total of 90 seconds a game and listening to his press conferences 10 minutes a game uh, or 10, 20 minutes a week. Imagine how they feel. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious with that, but I do believe 
that he has lost a locker room. I do believe that this team desperately needs new leadership. And I think even Chris Tabor, a guy that I'm not particularly fond of as a special teams coach, I think he could you know, perhaps provide some spark with this team. And at the very least, you know, maybe we would see our first over first ever punt on first down with Chris Tabor as a special teams coach. Alyssa, <laughs> what happens if the Bears go out and just pound the 49ers without Matt Nagy on the sideline? I mean, when you think, I mean, obviously the Bears have never fired a head coach midseason. And, you know, this is kind of like an opportunity for them to kind of, for the McCaskies to see what this team looks like. Can you afford to fire him midseason if the Bears go out and they go ahead and they beat up on the 49ers and the players are kind of like Aldo was saying, just kind of playing free, not having to worry about all the pressure and, you know, worrying about people talking about Nagy and then having to watch him and all this stuff and just kind of rallying around each other. I mean, I feel like, you know, it could be like, hey. I still don't think they're going to fire him midseason, but it could kind of just be a glimpse that, hey, you know, especially if, you know, coming up with some of these games that they continue to lose and things spiral out of control, it wouldn't be completely out of the question. So, I mean, we'll see because, you know, I got to believe it. But, I mean, it's kind of weird how this all happened. My goodness, what a few days for the Bears. He get a 35-point butt whooping. You already had COVID issues, your head coach. I remember seeing Matt Nagy in his car for that press conference, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they won't let him inside Hallis Hall. I'm like, is it happening? Uh, and it wasn't. But, you know, it just kind of gives them an opportunity to kind of see what this team can do, you know, without him. Yeah, and I have an interesting perspective on this that just kind of hit me while you guys were talking. There is a percentage of the fan base that is – we can say is rooting for the Bears to lose because they want Matt Nagy out of there. I think it's safe to say there is a percentage of Bears fans that say, I want this to burn to the ground because I just don't want Matt Nagy there anymore. I don't want Ryan Pace there anymore. For the first time in a long time, though, that percentage of the fan base is in a win-win situation because if they go out and they lose, you're one step closer to saying, okay, they lost. The season's in a spiral. They got to start clearing house. But if they win, you can say, I told you Matt Nagy was the problem. I told you they could win without this guy. So for the first time in a long time, some of these fans that are rooting for the Bears to lose are actually going to be thinking, okay, we're in a good situation either way. I can cheer for the Bears to win again because it actually gets Nagy out the door quicker maybe. So it, it, I, maybe I'm playing some mental gymnastics here, but I think that there's, there is a large part of the fan base, or at least a substantial part of the, the fan base, that just wants to get this year over with and get this guy out of here. And and the sooner they can get that done, the sooner that they can get those wheels in motion are the better because they, and, and that leads to another discussion about what happens at the trade deadline, because there had been a lot of rumors about, could they be shopping Akeem Hicks? Could they be shopping Allen Robinson? Who else could potentially be out of Chicago? Now, if they are sellers, that means that they're punting on the season. And if they're punting on the season, what does that mean about the security or the status of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy? Because if Ryan Pace feels comfortable enough to sell off the players, does he feel comfortable enough that he's coming back in 2022? If Matt Nagy signs off on that, does he feel comfortable enough saying, you're punting on the season, I guess that we don't have to show improvement, we'll be back one more year. Or the ultimate heel turn, maybe 
Ryan Pace starts selling off the players regardless of what Matt Nagy says, and Ryan Pace goes into self-preservation mode and says, I'm trying to save my own ass right now. We might have to move on from you. I'm sorry, Matt. I know we might be connected at the hip, but if I gotta, if I gotta go ahead and make the cut, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna go ahead and just sell everybody off, try to save my ass, and then legitimize myself by getting rid of you. So what do you think all of this, if anything, comes out of the trade deadline, what it could mean? for not just this year, but potentially next year for the Chicago Bears, Aldo? Well, there are 10 games left this season, and that's like a lot of football. Yeah. And so I think because of that, uh, there would be nine games left uh, or after well, the day before the uh, uh, trading deadline. Because of that, I think that the Bears are going to pretty much stay, stay put unless they get some super attractive offer. offer. Plus, I think that if I'm management and I'm considering making a move with the general manager, then I'm going to tell him, don't touch a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't trade anyone. Don't do anything. Um, And, you know, why would you entrust Ryan Pace to trade, you know, a, a Allen Robinson? He may not even get as much as we could as a compensatory pick. So uh, there's a lot of intricacies here, and I think that the best thing for Chicago Bears fans is for the Bears to continue to put a team that could potentially win games as opposed to us seeing a a 10-game losing streak. That would be miserable for us. It's not going to help us with a first-round draft pick. We don't have a first-round draft pick. And so at this point, I still want uh, the team to fight for victories, try to get – injured players healthy as quickly as possible, continue the development of, of Justin Fields, and hopefully, you know, if anything, continue to steer away some of the responsibility from Matt Nagy and allow the de- defensive coordinators to do their thing unobstructed by the head coach. What do you think, Alyssa? What do you think the Bears could, if they do anything at the trade deadline, what it could mean for the future of the franchise? Yeah, I mean, I don't foresee them doing anything, kind of like what Otto was saying. And I think, John, you made a great point about, you know, if they start selling, you know, it's kind of like, okay, so you're kind of like stockpiling for the future. Does that mean that, you know, Ryan Pace has already been promised a job next year? Or it could just be kind of like self-preservation mode, like you were saying, sorry, Nagy, you know, I'm going to save my ass (laughs) and you're gone. Uh, I mean, I don't see them really doing anything unless they get like a really compelling offer. Uh, and like Aldo was saying, I think at this point you want to see this team, despite what some Bears fans, you know, are you know wishing the season away, hoping that they lose because they want to get rid of Matt Nagy. I understand that, but at the same time, you want to see this team continue to fight, and you want to see Justin Fields, you know, develop. That's that that should be the focus right now, especially looking at where this team's at. You know, I mean, it, I don't really see them doing anything, so I don't know. We'll see. But but if they do start really buying or selling, I mean, I think that'd be quite telling. Uh, I don't know how they would buy. I don't think they have any draft capital left. But I mean, if they go, it's who knows. Uh, if if maybe if Ryan Pace He'll really does want to burn, twenty twenty three. Yeah, if he wants to, if he really wants to burn the place down, he's going to start shipping off twenty twenty three draft picks to bring people in. And mm-hmm. that's although to your point about saying don't touch this team to sell parts, don't right. touch this team to buy parts either. Then that's because you're, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna start stay. And we talked about this last year, remember in the off season saying. Well, you're going to go out and get this guy. You're going to trade off draft picks for this guy. You're going to sign this guy to a big contract because you're all in right now. And if mm-hmm. you get fired after a year, 
you don't care if the team's buried for the next three years because you're not there anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I guess maybe you put a, a a freeze on things, but then really, are are you just are you just holding off the inevitable that you're going to move on from the, these guys anyway? Um, perhaps we should face a, focus a little bit on the actual game uh, here. Uh, so I, I think that. Um, I'm trying to read a question we got here. It was Doug, John's mother, brother, father. Oh, uh, <laughs> Doug, Doug, uh, Doug was my uncle. So uh, thank Jamie Silverberg jumping in on the chat room. Uh, Doug was my uncle, my mentor, my biggest hero, and the reason that I got into broadcasting. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, by the way. Appreciate your words. Uh, but uh, I, I would say that we should focus a little bit on the game at hand because much like Alex was saying, this is a pivotal game for both franchises because – it could bury you because it could it could be a tie-breaking game. It could be something that sets you obviously sets you back a few games out of five hundred, and it could determine whether or not you sneak into that final seven seed. Now I don't know if the Bears were going to make that anyway, but at least there's something on the line here. And the Bears could be without Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Uh, I'm still up in the air about whether Khalil Mack's actually going to play. I think I've heard conflicting reports that he's going to maybe try to play to the fact where he's going to go on the IR. So uh, you're, we're going, we're going to go back and forth on that. I have no idea if Robert Quinn has passed the COVID protocol yet. I don't know if he's anywhere near ready to play. Uh, so the pass rush has been a strength of this team. Now they're going to go in with a bunch of reserves. If they go in like that, can the defense hold? I know, I know the San Francisco offense isn't exactly explosive, but you got to get something going on. And we heard it, we heard that field positions is going to field position is going to be an uphill battle. Uh, Aldo, is this a game where you could really see them muddying it up, it being an ugly game, and then losing thirteen six or something of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and by the way, uh, over at BearsWire.com, I know somebody works over there, by the way. <laughs> They're reporting that uh, uh, Matt Nagy hasn't made a decision on whether to shut down Khalil Mack or not. So uh, this is after reports that come out that he was going to be shut down or at least put on IR. So, uh, And then uh, Jason Peters gives us an update on Larry Borum yesterday. You know, this is this is – become a clown show with the way they're handling their communications but he's to, their pr guy <laughs> yeah. can we have larry borum like do a press conference every day just so we can actually see what's going on like Why don't we actually, some, yeah. some transparency that's it <laughs> bring jason Absolutely. peters out to the podium every day and say hey peters Absolutely. what do you got because he doesn't care what are they gonna yeah cut me who cares yeah you're not you're gonna, you're gonna cut jason peters no <laughs> So I was like, I don't, I don't give two craps. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'm probably not going to play anymore after this year. I'm going to say whatever the hell I want at this podium. And if you need, a, if you need an injury update, Larry Borum, he's practicing this week. Uh, Tevin Jenkins, two to three weeks. Quote me on it. And yeah. so he, just keep marching him out there because he gave us more information than Matt Nagy ever did. He sure did. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I I see a really ugly game on Sunday, so I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it rains rained to make it even uglier. Uh, but the Bears do have a great opportunity to to steal a game from a team that, on paper anyway, is is better than the Chicago Bears, and and Alex outlined it perfectly for us: run up the middle, uh, take advantage of their run defense, which is poor up the middle. I'll stay away from Bosa, <laughs> um, pick on that secondary. So it's, it should be hopefully a, a game plan similar to what we saw with uh, Justin Fields' first two victories as a, uh, as a starter. A lot of max protect, a lot of tight ends staying in to help block. 
and uh, and hopefully our receivers can find uh, openings in the zone and and uh, and beat somebody man to man, and we can uh, get the 17 points in what will probably be, probably be a 17 to 14 type game. So, Alyssa, you're saying bet the under on this, I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think the over-under is like 37 and a half. I'm like, no way in hell is there, am I taking the over on that. Both these teams are just like a mess right now, and they both desperately need to win. The one thing I will say is the Bears, you know, they won those winnable games this year that they should win or could win by playing complimentary football. But again, that does require the offense to do the bare minimum, to do its part. But then normally you're leaning heavily on that defense, which, you know, they could be down not only Khalil Mack, but Robert Quinn. And then you have Travis Gibson and, you know, Sam Kamara. And then you have Charles Snowden, who they're probably going to bring up. Like not the, you know, a lot of young pass rushers. And you're going to be, you know, looking for your defensive line to really bring a pass rush. You know, Akeem Hicks did return to practice today. So, I mean, that's good news. You know, perhaps he'll be able to go on Sunday. But and then that puts a lot of pressure, like I saw in the comments, on the defensive backs. I mean, Jalen Johnson, I think we're – we know that we're good with him, but you're going to need to see the rest of that secondary step up because the Niners do have some playmakers. I mean, I do think, like Aldo said, this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game, especially for the Bears averaging 14 points this year. If they were to if they could score like 20 points at this point, you know, I'd be pretty happy, and that should be enough to win the game. But I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That that being said. We saw some protection issues. Well, we've always seen protection issues, but uh, going going against this pass rush with like, Nick Bosa and D Ford and all those guys, do they have to absolutely one hundred percent bring in extra protection like we saw before? Max protect because. Justin Fields is eventually going to get hurt if he keeps getting hit like this. And he's going up against another really good pass rush. Alyssa, if you were the if you're the offensive coordinator, you're making the game plan. Do you have to bring somebody else in on the line to at least keep your quarterback upright? Because he got hit 1.9 seconds after one of those snaps that he fumbled, or one of those balls that he fumbled. Under two seconds. What the, that's not a processing issue. That's you needed to stand up at some point, and he got hit in that in that period. So, do they have to bring someone else in to, to help protect? I mean, I think you answered it right there. They absolutely need to. And Alex was saying that this 49ers defense, their strength is the pass rush, and Fields is the most sacked quarterback in the league. And he had he didn't play Week One, with the exception of a couple of plays, and he missed an entire half in Week Two, and he still has been sacked more than anyone in the league. I mean, you kind of look at what they were able to do where they, I think they brought, I think it was the Raiders game where they brought in uh, Alex Bars and I, who's kind of their filling in for like JP Holt. So they had a whole bunch of tight ends out, bringing him in there as an extra blocker. I think they need to do that because otherwise this could get pretty ugly. You know, again, it's, he needs more than 1.9 seconds to throw the ball. You can't expect him to work miracles back there. So, I mean, I will see because Bill Lazor is in charge and especially we don't think Matt Nagy's going to be able to go. So He's done it before. We'll see if it, you know he'll follow a similar game plan. More protection, Aldo. Absolutely. Um, you got to play 1960s football here. You know, you. you I. I uh, King Pookie says it's going to be 55 and sunny at Soldier Field. I, the weatherman is always wrong, so I'm hoping for a torrential <laughs> downpour. I'm hoping for one of those great mud bowls. I don't know if that turf can can produce mud, but that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Ship for it a, in. Yeah, I'm hoping for a sloppy game, just like Doug before. I saw Doug Buffon play in all whites in a mud yep. game. <laughs> what a beautiful thing. That's yep. what I'm hoping for the Chicago Bears. Good old-fashioned football. Even get Justin Fields uh, running on some designed run plays away from Bosa. 
uh, with lots of blockers out there. This should be a game where every tight end on the team, I think, what do they got? They still got 10 tight ends. Put all 10 tight ends on the active roster (laughs) and and no wide receivers. Just a good old fashioned uh, formation D football, T formation football like Nagy did in his very first game. And we were all wild by that and haven't been since. (laughs) You know what? Do what Illinois did against Penn State. Bring basically everybody on the line and say, we're going to run it now. Ready? (laughs) Here we go. And it worked. (laughs) And it worked. So, yeah, smash somebody. What I also want to see a little bit more of this week, and compared to all the other quarterbacks, the Bears don't do this nearly enough, is the play action. They got to get Justin Fields in some play action. They got to get him out, move the pocket, but also at least give the facade. They run the ball so well. Why not give the facade that you're going to run the ball and then roll Justin Fields out where he can either find somebody crossing the field or run himself? He's an incredibly athletic uh, guy, so he needs to take off a little bit more, but try to buy him a little bit of time. So I'd like to see a little more play action this week, maybe get Cole Komet a little bit more involved. He, you know, he, he had an all right game uh, against the Bucs, but I mean – Let's take that for what it is. Uh, he but, was their leading receiver, by the way. I know, I know. I, 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 but God, how sad compared, is that? Compared to what he was, he had what four catches, and then uh, the the second highest receiver was Khalil Herbert with three, and then the then then uh, Mooney and Robinson both had two. It was those are that's a pathetic box score, by the way. Oh, well, even more pathetic game if you chose to watch it. But uh, I, I would love to see Justin Fields roll out of the pocket a little bit more, try to get into a rhythm, try to, yeah, just try to sustain a drive where you're not on your back every other play. So mm-hmm. they got to keep this kid upright. And, uh, and although we talked about this, I don't want to say a lot, but we talked about this before the season. Is it possible that if you keep hitting him like this, there's going to be a David Carr effect? where it's just he's going to start trying to get rid of the ball a lot quicker than he needs to because the dude's getting sacked 70 times a year. Is it is it possible to turn a guy gun-shy where you're like Sam Darnold and you're seeing ghosts, like he, he famously said? Uh, dude, can you get a guy so gun-shy and hit that he's just going to try to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible? Yeah, I, th- I think we uh, saw accuracy issues in Sunday's game against Tampa Bay because uh, of his concern about getting hit. And, you know, it's not a pleasant sight when you know you've already starting a backup uh, right tackle and that backup right tackle is benched a uh, uh, little more than a, the, a quarter into the game. And, you know, he saw... Justin Fields reportedly saw the starting right, right tackle, Elijah Wilkinson, who was also a backup, um, saw him uh, about an hour and a half before the game with Juan Castillo looking at their iPad and looking at play. So he's thinking to himself, Wilkinson's going to play. Everything's going to be cool. And then it's Simmons out there, and then Simmons is lifted. It's a mess. By the way, you know what is also a mess is that last week, he gets called for a 11 men penalty and he's coached up. You should maybe take a look, peek at the flag and do this. And, do that. and then it's the coaches that, who were coaching him how to do better, who make the mistake and tell him, yeah, they got too many guys on the field and yeah. so forth. This is a mess uh, A to Z. And, but to get back to your original question, yeah, I'm concerned about his, his, his safety and, and I'm concerned about the psychological, psychological damage that this, that the lack of protection, could result in and he's a tough young man he's super tough but i've seen even great quarterbacks flinch 
before they were being hit. I saw a replay of Peyton Manning flinching almost a full second before uh, uh, a defender was coming to hit him because he was being hit a lot in that game. And so when it happens to the greats in football, you know it's going to happen to rookies and it could lead to some lasting damage. Alyssa, do you have any concern that the lasting effect of Matt Nagy and this coaching staff could bleed into whatever the next coaching staff has to deal with with Justin Fields? Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, some people and I've seen them kind of say, well, maybe it was a good thing that Fields was kind of like sitting on the bench before and kind of going with Andy Dalton to kind of you know, save him from that. But at the same time, you know, when you're seeing feels out there and how Matt Nagy is just not calling a game, like, or even the game plan before, like not even just during the game, like when you're planning for this during the week, how, you know, it doesn't fit his strengths. And we've seen this with Mitch Trubisky last year. It's just, he doesn't know how to adapt his offense around a quarterback. And that's a concern. And when you see what he's doing, he's kind of just throwing fields to the wolves. We saw that against the Browns. We saw that, you know, against, against the Bucks. I mean, it, it's really concerning because like Aldo was saying, I think he's a tough guy. But at the same time, even the greats, you know, can really be uh, hampered by that. And it's just at, at this point, the most important thing should be Justin Fields' development. And Nagy's not the guy. I think that they know that. And again, I don't think they would fire head coach midseason, but it's just kind of concerning. There are 10 games left and, you know, the, the, there's a lot of games to be played. And you really just hope that Fields can come out of this just alive (laughs) and time for the next head coach to kind of, you know, work his magic and kind of, because you don't want him to develop bad habits either at the same time. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong this season. So, I mean, I am concerned, but at the same time, I mean, you know, Fields seems like a really tough guy. And I think he, he doesn't seem like he's doubting himself at all, just kind of like some things happening around him. So, I mean, we'll see, because there's a lot of game uh, games left to be played. One thing I'm very confident in is Justin Fields' character and his mental makeup. Uh, I think that he can, once again, we, I hate that we have to keep saying this. He can overcome Matt Nagy. I don't want to have to keep saying that the quarterback can overcome the, the head coach, but that's where we're at. And like we've said, Numerous, I've at least said this many times throughout the season, that offense will look the exact same, whether it's Mitch Trubisky, whether it's Nick Foles, whether it's Andy Dalton, or whether it's Justin Fields, that offense is going to look the exact same because they are incapable of catering an offense around a player's strengths. They basically say, this is the offense, let's just chuck somebody in there and let's not change it around. And that's what we've seen for the past four years. But... I think that's about time we wrap it up. I've gotten most of my I've gotten most of my energy out. I've gotten most of my feelings out. Uh, before we the start winding things, it, it was it's there for a reason. Yes, uh, Aldo. Before we start uh, winding some things down, can you talk about uh, things we're going to have? Actually, I believe tonight on the Barroom Network, we got some special programming going on. Yeah, Tyler Ellis, uh, the Power of Gains show is going to be on in about thirty minutes right here, and I urge everyone. To tune in, uh, Tyler has been doing tremendous work taking over the legacy of his father's work in Mombasa, Africa, and the Mombasa Relief Initiative is something that Tyler is a member of the board, and he's going to share some uh, latest updates because he will be uh, flying back there to help kids uh, uh, and provide uh, materials to help them with their educational needs. And so uh, if you could please uh, uh, stick around for that show, that would be uh, really great. And then uh, tomorrow... Uh, it's uh, Mike North at 9.30 a.m. Uh, Mike had the miss last week, so he's got a lot of ranting and raving and <laughs> all sorts of stuff that he's going to be doing tomorrow, not only about the about the Chicago Bears, but all Chicago sports. There's plenty to complain about, except the Bulls. Even, did you see Alyssa John wearing a Chicago Bulls T-shirt yesterday? Did you see that? I have declared I my not. fandom. 
I have declared my fandom for Bulls Nation. I grew up in an, uh, in Pittsburgh where there is no NBA team, so I've always been a free agent just watching basketball. I'm in. I want in on this. I want in on the Bulls Nation. I want to, I want them to accept me as one of their own, and I am all in on being a I'm, I'm, buy, I'm buying NBA League Pass. I'm going to watch the Bulls games. Look at I'm, this. I'm all, I'm all in on this. I, I don't do anything half-assed, although. If I'm going to be a Bulls fan, I'm going to be a Bulls fan. So I am I am ready. I am ready to go. And Alyssa, are you still a Pistons fan? I'm so fan? jealous. I am. I was going to say, we like my team kind of helped you guys get out to your hot start, which isn't really saying much. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, all of my sports teams tend to suck, except for Michigan Wolverines at this point. And then, you know, who knows? They could be in for, you know, a big letdown on Saturday. But, <laughs> And then the so like all of my the Bears, the Red Wings, you know, the Tigers, the Pistons, like yeah, it's all it's all there. And a big yeah. game for Michigan this weekend, right? Yeah, uh, it's and big la- game. Yes. Lastly, I just want to say, uh, make sure you visit our swag shop. They've got some great Buffon Fifty Five gear. Look at look at John sporting the hat. Look there. at John's repping. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And Barroom Network hats, all, hat. everything that you need for Christmas presents, uh, you can find over at. Uh, the swag shop deep dish teas there's a link right below our youtube page here Alyssa, all yours and let me add that the best way to stay informed about all the great things happening here at the bar room is to follow us on social media at bar room network you can find us all across social media including facebook twitter and of course where you're watching this on youtube Tell us about all of the wires, Alyssa. You're the queen of the wires now. Tell us about all, all of the, the wires. wires. Come on. All of the wires. All of the wires. <laughs> Well, we have, you can check out Bears Wire. You can check out Niners Wire to kind of get ready. I know me and my Niners Wire guy, we're, we're getting everyone ready for the game. It's going to be brutal. We've already been talking about it. We're like expecting a 9-6 final. Uh, and that's like in bright, sunny conditions. So, but yeah, make sure you check out uh, my work over at bearswire.com. And there's a website, a wire site for everything. We got college football. We got NBA wires. So go ahead and give that a look. Excellent. And don't forget... Every week, we got the Bear Debate on Tuesday. Myself and Tyler Ellis going back and forth about all the hottest issues with the Chicago Bears. But Phone 55, you're already here. You know all about it. Uh, As Aldo said, Mike North and Danny Shimon always breaking down the tape for the Chicago Bears. Fresh Bears content every almost every day all week and not to mention bear football directly after the game raw emotion from myself tyler ellis and of course aldo gondia but that will wrap up this edition of buffoon 55 we appreciate everyone tuning in whether it's your first time or your 55th time we love that you're sharing this show with us but for aldo gondia and Alyssa barbieri i'm john buffoon we'll see you next time Thank you.